Hey, thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Brent Coulter, encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Good morning, City Church. Thank you for joining us this morning on this beautiful morning. Uh, I hope you are uh, enjoying the weather. Go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to lean into the Word of God this morning. This is part two of a series that we have called Centered. Before we jump in this morning, I just have a couple things to remind you about. Uh, Upcoming in the month of June, we are launching a series called Legacy. And it's just going to be a great reminder for us all, um, the legacy that we have as followers of Jesus, as part of the church, and the legacy that we have here at the City Church. We're going to be celebrating together, uh, thanking God for the past, looking forward to the future. And then also with the Legacy Series, we're going to be receiving a separate uh, offering over and above our normal tithes and offerings, and we want to be generous as a church. So there is actually a Legacy tab on our website that has video that explains to you all that we're going to be doing with the series and then with the offerings. So go ahead and check out the tab sometime in the next little while. Also... Uh, Our Bible study, as we just talked about, is coming up this Wednesday, and this Sunday is actually Pentecost Sunday. Now, if you grew up Pentecostal or charismatic, you heard a lot about this maybe, but if you didn't, um, it just so happens, and I didn't actually plan this, that this Wednesday we're going to be talking about Pentecost, what it would mean. Uh, I know a lot of questions. We opened up this series uh, on the Holy Spirit for questions. Uh, We had more questions come in about the subject of tongues than we did have any other subjects. So I'm going to be dealing with that this Wednesday. Now this, uh, generally the Bible study has been somewhere between a half hour and 40 minutes or so. This one is 50 minutes long. So if you want to hang out with us for about an hour this Wednesday, we're going to be talking about Pentecost and all those different things related to Pentecost. Um, and if you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, um, you know, there's, there's three different things that we would see in the scripture related to Pentecost. Uh, that Pentecost means 50 days after the Passover, the law was given. That's one remembrance of Pentecost, another remembrance of Pentecost, that it's one of the harvest, Jewish harvest, relating to harvest. And then also Pentecost Sunday, uh, when Jesus was died to when the Holy Spirit was given and the church age began. So that is what Pentecost Sunday is, and we'll talk a little bit more about that this Wednesday at Bible study. So please join us for that. And then also, just where we are in the world, again, just a couple renewed commitments that I have for you. I just want to remind you for all the huggers out there. 2021, some point, you and I are going to be hugging out when hugging it out when we have a chance to see each other, and then also to remind our city team, uh, a big part of our city team, our worship and production has been serving uh, these past 14 or 15 months faithfully, and um, you know a bunch of you that served in a bunch of different areas. In the next little while, sometime this year, we're going to be re-recruiting you to head back on to serving at the team, and we are so excited uh, to have you back in the building whenever that's going to work out. But again, for all of you city team members that serve faithfully, be preparing your hearts about coming back and serving in the areas that you serve. It's going to be great for us together again as a church. All right, let's just pray before we get started today, Father. We love you so much. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, We thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that he is with us, that he gives us grace to speak and grace to listen today. We thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to our hearts and that you are teaching us about yourself. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so this series is called Centered. And what when we think about center, a center point is a point of balance. Um, it, it's a focal point. Um, and when we think about God, who God is, who Jesus is, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today. You know, our team just sang about the name of Jesus. The reason that the name of Jesus is so amazing is because Jesus is amazing. And when we center our lives on Christ, he reminds us of what is most important. And when last week we, when we launched the series, uh, we just talked about this idea, this, this notion that we are and should be sharing our lives with God. Now, when we have spiritual disciplines that we should have, you know, prayer time and Bible reading time and, and church time, which we're doing right now, all of these things are important to do. It's important to create disciplines, but we don't want our relationship with God to become formulaic. We actually want to have natural fellowship with God. It's just a natural response of the affections of the center of my affection. It would go to God. And every point in our lives, we need to think, you know what, I need to share my life with God. I need to share my love and my faith with God. But then everything that I do, I'm involving God with all of my choices, all of my thoughts, all of how I'm processing everything that's happening in the world. I'm just going to share my life with God. And then last week, we also talked about just acknowledging him, loving him, trusting him. And then we finished up last week with communion and what communion does. And we see this with Jesus at the Last Supper that he told his disciples, whenever we receive communion, to do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we think about who Jesus is and how Jesus is actually famous in the history of the world, all of history is separated at the time Jesus came. And we don't want to minimize ever who Jesus is. And, and we look at the teachings of Jesus and what he said and what he predicted and then what he accomplished. We can't just have Jesus at this, you know, he's a good teacher. Um, and when we think about the thing Jesus predicted, we, we can't just say, you know, he's just a good guy. Uh, C.S. Lewis said it like this, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. We can't just have him in any category except the category of lordship. Because all of us, you know, we could just say something about our death and resurrection and none of us would pull it off. But Jesus actually did it. And so this is why he has this very unique, unique place in history. And he should have a very unique place in our hearts and our lives, especially for those of us that call ourselves Christians or call ourselves Christ followers. And Jesus is actually the center of our lives in Christianity. The gospel message is very Jesus-centric. Paul said if we don't have the resurrection, we of all people are most hopeless. You know, we don't have moral teaching at the center of Christianity, even though there is moral teaching in the scripture. At the center of Christianity is Jesus. What he did, his life, his sinless life, the things that he taught, his death, burial, and resurrection, that Jesus is at the center of our faith. Our mission statement here at the City Church comes from the Great Commission, and it's simply this, moving people closer to Jesus. And what that means is people that are far from God, that don't have a relationship with God, we as a church family, we want to invite them in to a relationship with Jesus. And then once you've done that, once you are a follower of Jesus, then we are all on this journey of discipleship to move closer to Jesus, to understand him more to have a closer relationship with him. And that's all that we do as a church for children and young people and adults. All of us, as we speak, as we preach, 
As we organize all of what we do, we want to move people closer to Jesus. Now, when we, we, we think again about having Jesus at the center of our faith, there is all of us have a center trust point to our lives. Everybody is living by faith, but not everybody is living by faith in God. There is something that has that center point of faith for you. Your worldview, how you think about and live in the world, you have heard some information and you have put some faith in that, inf- in that information. But as a follower of Jesus, we just don't have faith on information. Well, our faith is on the person of Jesus. And when we think about um, who Jesus is and what he accomplished, and that he is our Lord and should have that place of authority in our lives. Uh, Michael just quoted the scripture there, John three sixteen, that God so loved the world. So Jesus rules our lives from a place of love. And all that we receive from God comes from this place of affection that God has for humanity. And so we, when we center our lives on Jesus, we're centering our lives on who God is, what has been accomplished for us through Jesus. Now, again, it's very easy for us to put anything else there at that center place of our lives. Everything else can become that focal point of our lives, but we want to be centered on Jesus. And this is nothing new. This is something that happened in scriptural times. The the book of Galatians, as we're just going to read here, this was a church planted by the Apostle Paul, and uh, there's a Galatia, Galatia is not actually a city, it's a region. There's three um, cities in this region. And so Paul planted um, a church there, and so he's writing a letter to the Galatians. He had planted the church based on Jesus, based on the preaching of Jesus, who Jesus did, what he had accomplished. But then he heard about that they were drifting. They were drifting on their faith in Jesus. And again, it's just very easy to do that. Something else can rush in. We don't keep Jesus at the center. Something else will rush into that center point of our lives. So this is what Paul said as he writes to the Galatian church. He said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Skip down to verse 10. It says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the ones who, who does them shall live by faith, shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curses everyone who hanged on a tree. So that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come on the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise through, promised spirit through faith. 
So here, this whole comparison back and forth about, hey, did you receive Jesus by the hearing of faith or by putting your trust in him or by accomplishing the law? Now, these two things that Paul is juxtaposing and he's comparing and he's pitting them against each other. You actually can't, if you're doing one, you're not doing the other. If you're you're trying to live by the law, you're not living by faith in Jesus. And if you're living by faith in Jesus, you are not trying to live according to the works of the law. Now, what do these things mean again? Because there are teachings in the scripture for us to follow as followers of Jesus. There's two things that we would see that there's faith... And then there's good things to do, or good works that we would call them. And the problem is when we get these things out of order, because the scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are saved unto good works. So the gospel message, the gospel truth is all about us saying yes to Jesus. And when we say yes to Jesus, he makes us righteous before God. He justifies us before God. And what we are saying in that moment is that my faith is in what Christ did. My faith is centered on Jesus. Or, Paul is saying, what you can do is you can center your life on the law. How well I can keep the religious rules and rites, the ceremonial practices and everything that we see in the Old Testament. Now, not that those things were done away with, because Jesus said, I came to fulfill all of those things. But that's the point. Jesus came to fulfill all of those things. So I say yes to him. And then I do good things from this place of faith in Jesus. I don't try to fulfill all of the works of the law because here's what we know. We can't. We're going to fail. And me trying to live or present righteousness based on, hey, I accomplished everything in the Old Testament. I did all these things. What are you saying? Faith, my faith, is in myself, what I can do, and what I can accomplish. And Paul said, oh foolish Galatians. See, and this is what can happen to us over time as a follower of Jesus, that we put our faith in Jesus, we realize, man, I am hopeless without God. And we are all hopeless without God. But then we say yes to Jesus, and we follow the teachings of Jesus, and you know, we're doing some good stuff. And then what can happen to us is we kind of get really impressed with ourselves. I am a really good Christian. Do you know any good Christians? Can you think about that? Now, the best Christian I know, as I would say always, is my mother. She's just a good Christian. And we would use this phrase. But what does this term actually mean? A good Christian. See, a little bit what's happening to us is like we do good stuff, but then we forget that our faith in Jesus, centering our lives on Jesus, is the most important thing. Not the good things we do. Because the good things we do can make us arrogant. And I'm following the word, and I'm doing the scripture, and I'm doing the scripture in this area, and I'm, and I'm serving at church, and I'm giving my tithes and offerings, and I'm doing all of this stuff. And in a little while, we can get really impressed with ourselves. And we could be thinking, well, of course, I'm not trying to follow Old Testament laws, but this is the arrogance that Paul is talking about. You are foolish. Did, Did it go from faith in Jesus to faith in yourself? And this could happen to us at any moment that we transfer our faith from what Jesus did and accomplished to centering our lives on our own accomplishments, but our lives 
have to remain centered on Jesus, on the grace of God. So we don't want to get our lives out of order. Because what can happen to us is then what becomes my motivation for obedience? Because if I'm centered on Jesus, my motivation for obedience is, man, I know God loves me and accepts me and cares for me. And from that place of relationship, then I live out and do good things. But if I'm just trying to do good things, if I start with the good things, I get my life out of order and I get the center place of my heart wrong. And then I'm trying to do good things to make God like me. I'm trying to do good things to get something from God. I'm trying to accomplish a bunch of good stuff so that maybe I can get something from God. Look, God, look how good I am. Won't you give me this now? What is that? That's faith in yourself. Paul calls us foolish if we try to justify or say that we're righteous because of all of what we do. But then our motivation needs to come from this place that God loves me and he cares for me. And Jesus has sacrificed himself for me. So all of my motivation comes from this place. Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary. Why am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving my neighbors like, okay, God, I know the great commandment is love God and love people. And I don't really like anybody. I certainly don't love anybody, but you told me I have to love people. So I'm just going to go out and love people with a grudge. No, when we live from this Jesus-centered place, we know that the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so from that place... I can go and love people, even the people that don't like me, even the people that I disagree with, because I'm not trying to get my, my motivation and my acceptance from them. My life is centered on Jesus so that I can go out and do these things. But if I'm trying to get acceptance from people and I'm trying to get people to love me and like me, then I've got the center focus of my life in a really strange spot. And then my focus is on people. But God has loved me, and he's cared for me, so he sends me out from that place. So what makes me righteous in the family of God? Is it righteous acts, or is it the righteousness that God offers me through Christ? The Old Testament says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. In other words, the good things that we do, it's useless to God as a way to have a relationship with him. But when we center our lives, faith on Jesus, God gives us his own righteousness. We don't earn it. That's the problem with trying to be impressed with your own actions and your own works. That's faith in you. So my righteousness doesn't come from my actions, although it is good to do good things. But I'm going to come over, I'm going to receive the righteousness of God. And the good things that I do is going to be motivated from that place that God has given me righteousness. How am I justified? Am I justified by pretending that I'm living a sinless life? No, this is my point about the good Christian thing. The, The idea of being a Christian is you are saying, you are recognizing that you are hopeless without God's righteousness. Without the righteousness that Jesus provides, 
I am hopeless in the world. I'm not trying to depend on my ability to do the law. That's why we need to be centered on Jesus. I'm not justifying myself. God has given me Jesus' righteous record. Why would I try to depend on my own, which is full of failures? Jesus' righteous record is the perfect one. See, Jesus took our record of unrighteousness and gave us his. That's what justifies me in the sight of God. And that's such a beautiful thing. It's such a beautiful, humble place to live from. You know, in, in the book of Galatians, there's this phrase, falling from grace. And we hear this phrase sometimes, we kind of think, you know, if somebody does something wrong, they've fallen from grace. But the true meaning of falling from grace is where we resist the grace that God gives, the righteousness that God gives, the justification that God gives. When we fall from grace, we're depending on ourselves. We're trying to work it out on ourselves. We're trying to be righteous in and of ourselves and in our, of our flesh and with our actions and with our good things. No, God has done all of the good things necessary in Jesus, and he wants us to take Jesus' righteous record. So when we center our lives on Christ, here's a great truth for us, that he changes me, that I don't stay the same. Because we can take anything else to, like always happens, we can take anything else and center our lives on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 29 says this, So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I'm not boasting in myself. I'm boasting about Jesus. That's why we sing. What a beautiful name. He has no rival, and the rival certainly isn't me and what I can do and what I can accomplish. And his rival isn't you and your goodness and what you can think of. There's no rival for him because he has accomplished all of the law of God, and he offers to us justification, his own righteous record, so we can live having that centered in our lives. Jesus' wisdom. And he, this, we've just read there, he's made wisdom to us. Jesus involved in creation. Jesus involved in my salvation. And he walks with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not anxious about my future. Because I know Jesus is made to me the wisdom of God. Doesn't mean we're not going to face difficult things in the future. We all will because we live in a broken world. But we know that God is going to be with us, that Jesus has been made to me the wisdom of God. Righteousness, that my right standing, as we've just been talking about, comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from myself. Sanctification. What does this mean? It means I'm set apart for the purposes of God. And it also means I'm committed to a lifelong discipleship journey. Moving to the image of Christ. See, I say yes at a very specific time to the righteousness of God. And then the scripture tells us that I'm predestined to move to the image of Christ. Doing the things that Jesus did, acting the way Jesus acted, speaking the way Jesus spoke. 
This is what the sanctification process is, and it's, and it's a lifetime journey. So there's a moment where we are moved from darkness to light into the family of God, but then the lifetime journey of sanctification is that moving to the image of Jesus. The last word there in what Jesus has been made to us is redemption. That Jesus bought me back. That Jesus sacrificed himself for me. See, when we think about who Jesus is, he's the only one deserving of that center place of our lives. Because this is what happens. If we put anything or anyone else there, it is doomed to failure. Married people, you can't put your spouse at the center of your lives. They will fail. They are humans. You fail. You are human. We can't have our, you know, here's something we all go through as children. You know, your, your parents are, you grow up and they're a representation of God to you. And then at some point in your life, you figure out at a specific age, you're like, they're not perfect. And then your whole life, you're like, okay, my, my parents aren't perfect. And what has to, what's going to take that center place of my life? God is the thing that is, needs to be there. Jesus is the one that needs to be at the center of our lives. We can't have our boss at the center of our life. Why? Because your boss is a human being. They're going to mess up. And if your whole life, you know, is going to enter turmoil because your boss isn't perfect, get your boss out of that center place. They don't deserve to be there. Jesus is the only one that deserves to be there. As a thing from our culture, our culture tells us that sexuality should be at the center of our lives. Sexuality does not deserve to be at the center of our lives. Jesus is the only one that we should center our lives on. He's the one that has given himself. He is the one that's redeemed us. He's created us. He's the only one that deserves our ultimate affection. And if we have anything else there but God, our life is a mess. But this is a human universal. If we take God out, something else will rush in. Atheists. You ever heard atheists talk? What's at the center of their lives? We're like, you know, God, God is not even there. I don't believe in him. But what's at the center of their lives? The rationality. Their questions. Their questions, their unanswered questions are now their God. Everybody, everybody has a God. The only one that actually deserves to be God in our lives is God himself. Jesus. God's son. At the center of of our lives. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says this, since then we have been raised with Christ set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your minds on things above not earthly things for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God when Christ who is your life appears then you will also appear with him in glory Skip down to verse 15, same chapter. Let the peace of God rule in your heart, since, since as members of one body you were, call, you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him, centering our lives on Jesus. Our peace 
His goodness, His Word. There's going to be other things that come in that want to challenge that center place of our lives. But Jesus is the only one worthy. Jesus is the only one that came, sacrificed himself for you. So be on the lookout for those things that are trying to take the throne of your life. The only one that deserves to be there is Jesus. As we finish this message, you know, what's great about having Jesus at the center of our lives. And this is what I love about Jesus. You know, when we, when we talk about Jesus and we think about Jesus, and he is, he's very loving. But he's very straightforward with his disciples. And when we think about Jesus, you know, Jesus will weep with you. And there will be times in your life that he will also tell you to stop crying. And context is very important. Jesus At Lazarus' grave, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So Jesus is there. He's feeling compassion for somebody that's lost a loved one. And then Jesus, in those moments, will cry with us. But then there's other times when we really miss the mark. And Jesus is the one that will call us out and he will call us back. And this is the person that we need to have at the center of our lives. In the great revelation that we see that Peter gave, and here's such a great example of this, was having Jesus at the center of our hearts and lives. Peter, you know, who's famous for just lording stuff out, you know, he loved Peter. Uh, but sometimes he would put his foot in his mouth, say the wrong at the time, because he's just jumping out real quick. But here, here, listen to how Jesus interacted with Peter. And Jesus will interact with us like this. Verse 13, when Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And this is the most important question for us. Is Jesus the one worthy of the center point of my life and my affection, or is everything else? My own thoughts. Are they worthy of the center point in my life? People. Are they worthy of the center point in my life? See, because here's what happens. If we put people at the center point of our lives, we will always be disillusioned because they will always fail us. But here we keep Jesus here. Jesus is like, hey, what about you? Who do you say that I am, Jesus asks. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for it was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Now, in this moment, this is a pretty big deal for all the disciples. Like, Jesus is commending Peter for his revelation, his understanding of who Jesus is, because the understanding of who Jesus is is what the church is built on. Peter, great job. This this thing that you just said, God revealed this to you. Now, in that moment, Peter's like, ha-ha. <laughs> rest of you, Jesus is commending me. I'm amazing. 
Let's keep reading the story. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not a good idea. This is what Peter said. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. We need a friend like this. When we get it right, they celebrate us. When we get it wrong, they call us the devil. This is what we need in our lives. This is why Jesus is the only one who deserves that center place in our lives. Because Jesus will affirm us when we get it right. And if we get it wrong, he's like, no, that's wrong. You're, no. What you think right now is wrong. That's why we don't take thoughts and put them at the center of our lives. We take Jesus and we keep him at the center of our lives. And we all need both of these things This is what Jesus provides for us. He affirms us. He loves us. He gives us his own righteous record. And then we mess up. When we step out of line, he's like, no, that thing, you need to change that thing. You need to stop that. That thing isn't right. I know that everybody else is doing it. I know that everybody else is thinking it. But get that thing out of the center of your lives and keep me at the center of your heart. The last thing, and we're going to continue with this next week, that Jesus sticks with me. See, Jesus never gives up on us, and then the scripture tells us he never leaves us or forsakes us. People, man, are going to fail and they're going to leave. They're going to step out of our lives. But God is the one who is always with me. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who is that? It's Jesus. The right kind of friend. The one that we need to keep centered at our lives. Scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. God never forsakes us. That's That's the reason why. We can build our lives on him. We can center our lives on Jesus because he never gives up on us. He always offers to us his own righteous record and says, stop trying to keep the law. You can't keep it. He's constantly calling out to us. And so if that's you today and you're watching and you have never said yes to Jesus, never made Jesus the Lord of your life, don't have Jesus at the center of your life. There's something else there because there is something else there for everyone if you haven't said yes to Jesus. Jesus is the only one worthy to be at that center place. Why? Because he created us and he sacrificed himself for us. And he offers us justification with God. What does that justification mean? Uh, a play on the word justification means just as if I'd never sinned. 
How do we stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God? How is it that we have a relationship with God who is holy and perfect? We come in the name of Jesus, claiming what Jesus has done for us, not our own ability to keep the law. So if you've never said yes to Jesus today, I'm going to pray a prayer here in a second. I invite you. Put Jesus at the center of your life. Jesus asks us the question that he asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? Some say this and some say this. Have you done your own investigation? Or do you listen to just Jesus' critics? Have you read what he did and what he said? What he accomplished for you? Because when you do, you'll say yes to him. So if you've never done that today, pray along with me today to say yes to Jesus. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross. And you raised him from the dead. So I can know you. God, today I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are giving me your righteous record. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at citychurchgta. Thanks again for joining us.